0: Is the sound of a man still resolute in his determination to remain on holiday after a long weekend away, despite it being a school night with work tomorrow? And it's with that frankly cavalier attitude that I say, cheers, welcome to the Rolling Mall podcast. Now, we may not be a sexy London-based outfit, so you're unlikely to find certain commentary teams drenching us with their overindulgent praise. But we are here as Leicester Tigers fans today to review a tight away loss to Saracens. Look forward to what is now a critical home game against London Irish and look at some of the exotic behemoths for that number five shirt in Elliot's imports. As
1: always, I'm Mike and I'm joined by Elliot. How are you, mate? Hello, mate. I'm uh, I, I'm not on holiday mode, so uh, I, I'm just with my trusty water. But what is it you're uh, swigging away with? Well, I can tell you that it
0: is an Adnams Ghost Ship Citrus Pale Ale, which says it's uh, got bold citrus flavours from Citrops. To be honest, I don't really actually fancy a beer tonight, but it's the last day of holiday, so I feel obligated. It's the law, isn't it? You get in trouble if you don't have a beer on your last day of holiday.
1: I mean, it's up there with the standard five o'clock in the morning airport beers. It's a necessary uh, requirement of a holiday. But where have you been? Setting parks, bruv. Mate, I can't middle ma- class, actually, the middle I, class dream.
0: The middle I, class dream. I can't make that sound anymore, street really. Even if I try to say center parks, bruv, doesn't work. I was at Centre Parks, which we booked before the Australian borders opened where my wife's family lives. So we hadn't known that they were going to open. So we managed to book this reasonably last minute trip to Centre Parks, which is eye wateringly expensive. But actually, for little kids, it's kind of one of those things where you say, ah, oh, it's worth it when you see them go down the slide, having the best time in their life. So I absolutely loved it. But to everyone listening, you too can enjoy the feeling of being at Centre Parks by sitting in a hot bath and setting your wallet on fire. So that's my top tip uh, to all of you. I sent that into Viz and they didn't publish it, so I'm still a bit bitter about that. But there we go. So no, at, at a cracking time, So we're saying off air, had some fairly disappointing moments though at centre parks I have to say there was firstly i couldn't get my pb on the rapids as every bloke wants to do you know you yeah. try and find the racing line my yeah. racing line was always foiled by somebody who had found themselves beached across one of the sites so you couldn't you basically just end up crashing into somebody's ass crack which is never particularly nice no. uh, and then uh on the first night i dropped off the cars walking back and they don't allow stag do's perhaps for good reason it's family the, I think it would be great for a stag dude, but you're obviously going to have too many nutters who might ruin it. And then you do have hen though. And as I was walking back after dropping off the car in the evening, they spied poor, innocent old me. They'd obviously been on the source because I am bang average on a good day. But a couple of them went, oh, all right, all right. Like that. And what was my suave response? Hit me. Hello. And I mean, like in a camp way, even for me, I thought to myself as I left, what the fuck was that?
1: You know, I mean I mean when we event, inevitably we will interview Guy Porter. But I mean the restraining order at some point will be lifted and we will be able to do it. Please, for all the love in the world, please do not open up to Guy Porter with with a with a open. Like, yeah, I mean it's not been yeah, good that I, well. I mean
0: what I thought to myself, ten years ago, there would have been just a cool all right, going back. Or if I was feeling a little bit sort of debonair, I'd be coming out with a good evening. But there was absolutely none of that. There was just this strange Camp, hello. I, be, and I think as as you said to me off air, it, it leads to one, one of those moments where you look at your wife and you think one thing. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. You're,
1: <laughs> you're, not, you're not able to go back in the wild. You, 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 are you are in captivity, my friend. You are not able to go back into the wild.
0: For my sake and every woman's sake around, <laughs> please don't let me back into the wild because I'm just not equipped to deal with it anymore. Absolutely horror, <laughs> absolute horror show, absolute horror show. Anyway, uh, how was your weekend, mate? You went down to uh, Plastic Park, didn't you? But I, I say Plastic Park in that disparaging way. It's actually a good away day, I think.
1: Yeah, I have to say, so Friday night was at Nish Kumar um, at the Montfort Hall, which was good fun, that was a, a good night out. And then Saturday, yep, down in London to watch the boys away at Sarah's. a Really good away day, as most, you know, as most things are when you go to London. It's the same as in football, uh, rugby's the same. London away days is always a... Uh, a good trip out and um, really enjoyed the first visit to Stonex. I think with the new stands there, you know, it's a really smart setup they've got there. And if it wasn't for the plastic pitch, you'd actually go out it's a really, I think it's an all right rugby stadium now. I mean, it's an athletics track, but you're not too far away from the action still. Um, yeah, so I, it's, I quite it's, like the walking around bit, how you can just walk around the pitch, you know, yes. at, um, by the side of it. So you've
0: kind of got a moving terrace as you go around.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I quite like that. It's the moving terrace. Um, no, I, I actually thought as a stadium to go to, it's really good. It's easy to get to, um, smart setup. Uh, also, big plus point for SARRIs is that they still do old school programmes. So uh, you can actually get a hard copy of uh, the programme for £3. And so, you're a uh, proper programme nerd, aren't you? So yeah, I, I, I'm a programme nerd So, uh, so it as terms of away days go, both them and London Irish get a, uh, a gold star for, uh, for having a programme. So, um, yep, as a programme nerd tick in the box.
0: It's a strange one because, actually, I think the stadium itself and the facilities it's got there are really good. They've got a really good bar service going on, so you don't really have to wait too long to get a beer. I could make a smug point about, well, maybe that's because they have 8,500 people at the stadium. But there we go. Never mind. But it is actually, I think, a really well-set-up stadium, nice facilities. Only problem with it is there aren't any pubs sort of in the immediate area, or certainly none that I could really find anyway. No, apart from that, I agree. Really good day out. Elliot, we've got a uh, bit of love to share around for some people just before we get going. I'll go on. Uh, so we've had uh, two very nice reviews left over the last week or so. One from James Stanier, uh, who says, he gave us five stars. Thank you very much, James. And he says, we're the best thing out of Leicester since show Waddy. Uh, take that. Which is, yeah, I'll take that any day of the week. Fantastic. Cheers, James. Thanks for that. And Blue Nose 99 left a review the other day saying, great rugby pod. A balanced view from the terrace at Welford Road. Well, that certainly isn't what we're going for. Sorry about that, Blue Nose. We're not going for a balanced view whatsoever. This is supposed to be as one-eyed and myopic as they come. So we need to up our game a little bit going forward. And also, big thank you to uh, Wiggy Tiger. Uh, don't know if you've had a look at the email inbox, Elliot, at this wonderful essay, basically doing our job for us from Wiggy Tiger. Fantastic stuff.
1: I haven't had a look. I'll I'll have to check that out. I've, uh, I haven't looked to the last seven days, so... Um um I, I just got swapped last time i looked i got drowned in um nigerian princes offering me a fortune so mm. um um so i've not looked in a while yeah the new one that
0: i've seen a few times is gaddafi's daughter trying to get in touch with us so he that's has got a th- millions of daughters millions of daughters by the way so of- yeah thanks a lot for that will you tie it's a hell of a review basically he, he does almost like a minute by minute penalty assessment of saracen's penalties and why as we'll come on to it they were very lucky not to get yellow for persistent defending. But we'll come on to that later. Anyway, thank you, everyone, who has got in touch. Please do continue to rate and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, our email is therollingmall at outlet.com, and our handle on Twitter is rollingmallpod. Okay. Well, on with the game, and it's going to be a bit of a shorter pod probably this week, rather than the marathon that we subjected you all to with Shazam last week. Uh, and we don't really have too much news to report, do we, Elliot? So we're not going to do a different news section this week. No, there's nothing really to report, is there? No, well, there's there was that horrible moment where we thought, oh God, what's happening? Are we in the press for off-field shenanigans again? And there was going to be a court case. Simon Cohen apparently suing the club. That is apparently all settled, so we're not going to talk about that. Good news, though, on the England selection front for um, one of our uh, guys. we have got the usual six in there. We've got Genge, Chessum, Hayes, Youngs, Ford and Stewart. And they're joined by a seventh man, aren't they?
1: Yes, magnificent seven. Mr. Nick Dolly, come on down.
0: Well, I think he's still got, obviously, uh, Jamie Blumeyer, who's probably likely to be the backup, you think. I think that's. Yeah. I think Eddie Jones is quite racing. But please see him get a shot. I thought he was very good, actually, against Saracens. We'll come on to that and He has perhaps plateaued a bit in terms of he was on this massively steep upward trajectory. And all I'm saying is he's still improving, but it's not quite at the rapid rate, understandably as it would have been at the start when he was thrust into the spotlight at the start of the season. And instead now, you know, he's having to fight for that backup spot with Charlie Clare, but I thought he really showed his worth against Saracens.
1: No, definitely. And I think it shows that with Dolly, He's now the fourth or fifth best hooker in the country, which actually, as a, from a squad perspective, is a really good position to be in because it means you've got a high, qual- high quality player who's on the cusp of, of international honours. And, you know, Pat Howard always used to say about putting a squad together, that if you put the fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth best player in their position in their country in your squad, but actually you've got, that's a, high, a fine way of building it because... For those reasons, you've got a damn good player, but one that's probably not going to be picked up by um, or on the fringes of international honours. So, so, yeah, really pleased for Nick Dolly. I thought he we played well at the weekend, so it was nice to see that rewarded for his efforts.
0: Excellent. So we'll obviously see how those guys go. I think we'll probably expect to have at least a couple of them back this weekend and we'll hopefully see them in a tiger shirt very soon. But on to the game Saturday yes. at the Stonex, not the Alliance as I call it. That was its old name at the Stonex Stadium. And 34 uh, 27 lost to Saracens. Losing bonus point for us, no try bonus point. They got a try bonus point. So they got five league points. We got the one. Um, it's a strange one in that I'd have probably taken that split of the points before the game. I'd have taken a losing bonus point, particularly seeing the side that Steve put out in the end. But it feels
1: like a bit of a missed opportunity, Elliot. Yeah, I think. It's an interesting one, and I think how you've phrased it is 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 spot on. It is one of those weird afternoons where they're obviously naturally going to be frustrated and a bit disappointed because a they've lost, and secondly, but for a few different moments across the game, they'll probably feel that they they could have, should have, maybe got something a bit more out of the game. The thing, what I would say, and I know we might we'll probably get into sort of the team selection and stuff like that, but that's a, a fairly disjointed or jumbled up twenty-three with some some new combinations. And for large parts of that game, we had Sarries on the run. We had them absolutely fretting at certain points during the game. And I always find if you do lose, watching the opposition at the final whistle and how they celebrate tells you a large um, tells you a story. And Sarries were quite booping um, and hollering, and they were quite they were quite relieved and, and buoyant after that win. And I think that one that tells you that a we did have them on the run, and they were quite quite relieved to come out on top. And, and it also shows how much they respect us and that, that how much they were celebrating on that. And I think, you know, that shows you how far we've come. And I think that shows you that actually on another day with a, maybe another team selection, we're not that far off them. You know, Sarri's pretty much played a 23. It was probably the strongest that was available to them at that weekend. Let alone at the end of the season, we didn't play the best 23, probably the strongest 23 available to us at that weekend, let alone what it could be at the end of the season. So I think there's a lot of positives to take from it. And I think that's maybe whilst they're disappointed from you know, from losing, I think they might secretly, privately at, at Oval Park, I think they might be pretty confident about things. They might be quite happy about how certain things came out. I think so. And it's an interesting one
0: because before the game, you corrected me and said actually Saracens are missing more international players than the Tigers are. And that's correct. And particularly, you know, they were missing some really key guys, as were we, but they were obviously missing Itoje in the second row and Jamie George, both of whom are very, very important. Although Wollstonecraft, to be fair to him, they had a great game and got two tries, so well done to him. But we then didn't sort of exploit that advantage and put out our best 23. We obviously then went with, we've had a couple of injuries, so obviously Coley, we assume, is still being rested and trying to get him in top nick for the run-in for the season, which is important. But Montoja wasn't there, Hanro wasn't there. Visa, Nimani on the bench. You know, all of those are quite interesting choices to mix it up. And it meant that rather than going in with a potential advantage over Saracens, we probably went in at a disadvantage in that Saracens would have more of their, in inverted commas, first choice team on the pitch at the start than we did. What do you think the logic was with that? Do you think it was almost like I felt with Steve at the start of the season when we had Jess Bunyard on, she disagreed with me on this. But I thought that, Steve selected a team to play Saracens at home at the start of the season. They thought, I think this is going to be a difficult game for us. I'm going to need to rotate the team anyway. I'm going to put these guys out. I think they can get a result. But if they lose, it's not too much of an issue. And it became a bit of a free hit and we got a great win. And I just wonder if that's kind of the same
1: mentality here. What do you think? I agree. I'm actually in the process of writing something off the back of it. And I'm trying to formulate it. So it might, I might not put say too much now because I'm trying to think of it through in my brain a little bit and it, it'll come out on print later this week I actually think Steve is playing a bit of 4D chess a little bit and I think he's trying to think two or three steps ahead not just for this season but for next season so I think he's, he's planning on something for, to develop the squad and keep moving them forward so I think part of that is we've seen that Saris at home a Bordeaux away and now Saris away throwing a lot of youngsters in and saying right you don't have cavalry behind you it's one thing to play well when you've got Hanro and Montoja next to you, when you've got some natural leaders in the pack, but well, I'm going to take those away. So I'm going to take, so I'm going to take that crutch away from you. You've got to, let's see who steps up for me. Let's see who's, who takes the leadership role. Let's see if the chips are down, who rallies the troops and all of it. So I think there's an element of testing the squad to see who comes through it and seeing, you know, where his players are at. I also think there's an element of Steve's maybe thinking at the moment all roads point towards possibly. And there's a lot of rugby still to be played, but mm. a possible Leicester Sarries final. And so I a certain um, thing, in fact, I don't think he wants to show all of his cards just yet. So I think he wants to hold stuff back. And I also think he wants to psychologically have something in his back pocket for the day. Because if you play the two games with your best team available on that particular weekend and you lose, then you go into that potential final with all the talk being, well, you've played your best team and you've lost twice. So I think you're right. And I think he wants to turn them into two free hits because if you lose both games and you go into the final, it's almost irrelevant because you go, well, it doesn't really matter because I've just played two scratch sides. Whereas if you win both of them with a scratch side, you go, well, we've done we've done you twice or at least once with a scratch side. Well, I think actually
0: it, it's not so much winning and losing. We know Steve loves to talk about performance and winning and losing. and it, I understand that because a win can make a performance seem a lot better than it may otherwise do, and a loss can do the opposite. So you actually, you take those elements away, you look at the performance as a whole and these young players, young packs, have lived with Saracens quite comfortably. In fact, I'd say they they lived with them more comfortably here in the loss than they did in the victory at home at Welford Road, where I thought we were very much second best in a lot of the past. Almost the opposite. Saracens dominated territory and possession and... We burgled it. Yeah, we burgled it and they didn't burgle it here. I thought they were more clinical. Yeah, but we very much dominated possession and territory, or certainly it felt that, particularly in the second half. Obviously, so we're at a position where, like you say, yes, at the moment you would say that it you're looking at a Leicester Saracens having home semi-finals, and therefore they would be the likeliest teams to get to the final. Hell of a lot of rugby to be played, and some really t- tricky fixtures, not least next weekend to come along, but if you get to that final, you're effectively getting to a point where those two sides have played each other twice and all they've done is shadow boxing, because Saracen's first game didn't have their Lions stars available. Tigers selected a fairly batshit crazy team just for the hell of it, apparently. Then when we go and look at this game here, it's during the international window, so both sides are shown off their England players. Plus, again, Leicester went and mixed it up a bit. So you've got two sides that, Don't really know what the other is going to do when they have their big guns available, but I would say that Leicester would be in a slightly better position in that they've sent out some young sides and very scratch sides, and they know that they can live with them, that they can get within a result of them, and to a point where they probably could have won. I'm not going to say should, but probably could have won on Saturday. But it's just a really interesting subplot. So, as you say, Steve Borthwick, thinking of these things. If you ask him about it, he'll say something boring like, "He'll just I'll pick, say, strongest I'll pick strongest team." There, I picked strongest team. I picked best team to win game. I don't quite know why I've made him sound like he's selling Yorkshire tea, but that is kind of how he will deal with it. But internally, he is thinking. I think you know, like three four steps ahead. Let's go and have a look at the game itself because actually, Tigers did get off to a good start. I think Saracens were attacking. I think they were very unfortunate. Obviously, they lost Mako and Apola early on. Who's such an important player for them? I think they'd only been one scrub before. Thought it looked like it was going to be a really good contest between him and uh, Joe Hayes. Actually, just quick one on Joe Hayes: when Mako injured his ankle, first he'll notice Joe Hayes puts up his hand, moves players from around him in the ruck, expresses real concern for Mako. Really good to see. I know they were going on about Nick Tompkins. I'm sure he's a lovely guy off the pitch, but on the pitch, I've got zero time for him. I think it was against London Irish. He went and screamed at a guy who called him a a C. Next Tuesday, when he was knocked out on the floor, so. I think, no, I think he's a prick on the pitch. I've got to be completely honest. He's one of the leading whoopers and hollowers in people's faces, trying to wind people off. I've got zero fucking time for him. But anyway, there we go. That's my my bitchiness off my chest. So let's uh, go to the rest of it then. So after that, we get up to the other side of the pitch, go up to Saracen's end, good couple of drives, Come close, some cynical de- more defence by Saracens, and eventually Snamen goes and drives his way over. Really good to see him get his first try, actually, because he's looking
1: close to being a dominant physical presence, but he's not quite reached it yet. He's finding it is you no, know, he's without being at the top level. He's starting to find his way and starting to show bits and pieces of what he's what he's all about. So, I actually thought the first ten minutes our intensity was really, really good. And if you look at that, if when you watch the game back, which I did, that first 10, 15 minutes, I almost thought was, and the commentators picked up on it, was like, it's almost a blueprint of what they wanted to do is come out of the traps, get in sarah's faces, play hard, be physical and really get, you know, try and dominate the, the, the tight exchanges, which they really did. Our drive-in mall all afternoon was fantastic. And, that, and we set our stall out with that early doors. And I think our first five, 10 minutes, we really put ourselves about and actually showed like they said, real good tempo to what we're doing. So we get it in, get it set up, throw it down. We didn't let Sarries really settle at all. And it was really impressive how we came out the blocks. I, I thought that was... Um, Did you, you know.
0: notice Maroni randomly standing in the line out most of the time as well, sort of yes. towards the front? We didn't really use him. I'm not quite sure if there was a sneaky move that we had planned. but, but Mind so was, games, mind games. Mind games, that's the answer to everything. I'm not quite sure what we had planned, but... We didn't really see that payoff, but we did see obviously some really good rolling wall work that led to Nick Dolly, who controlled it really well throughout, I thought, offload, and that gave Snaiman the chance to borrow. And like I said, I was really pleased to see him score. He, he still had a mixed game, and obviously, one of his mistakes led to their third try, I think it was just before half time. Anyway, then we move on, and Saracens do strike back with their own rolling ball. And more defense for us has been a little bit shaky of late. You and I know nothing of this it just looks like fucking chaos what do you think that we need to be looking at for this do we think we this is a game where we perhaps miss harry wells just being an absolute pain in the backside
1: yeah i think well we played gloucester last week and i think we nullified their maul pretty well and i think yes. wells is is a big part of that because he's an absolute maul's nose and just is a pain in the arse for the opposition and i suspect if you put wells in into that maul on on saturday i suspect they still might have scored but He would have made it a bit tougher for him because I think he is a bit um obdurate in that. Um, I don't know anything about mauling apart from just bend and push, so I can't <laughs> give you specifics apart from or just push a bit harder and get into a slightly lower position. Um, so just specifics on it, I can't go over. But you know, fair play to Saris, they are a very good maul side, and you know, they 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 showed that and um and powered over with it. So, but I think you know. In between those two things, again, I thought we were doing pretty well with this stuff and I think we had a good control and feel for the game. And George Martin right. was
0: putting in some shots, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought he was starting to throw his weight around. I, I quite liked how he was going about his business. I thought him and Cheshire, I thought, at six and eight, was a nice combination, to be fair.
0: Yeah, not quite as dynamic or explosive, perhaps, as Hanro and Visa would be in that six and eight shirts. Perhaps Slapby... You know, that handling, that dexterity uh, that you get from them and that nouse that you get. But they didn't have put in a shift. And I thought Martin in particular, he's some of his close contact carrying, again, we've talked about it, how he never gets driven backwards now. He's always taking on one or two blokes and two, three bits of leg drive, pushing him forward over the game line. So I was really impressed with him, actually, in a position which he's still not comfortable in, I don't think. He's not a number eight. I don't think it's a natural eight. I he's think not a natural eight. He, I, I don't think he has that natural handling yet uh, to play eight, but he does a hell of a good job when he's asked to fill in there and that's all you can ask for. So I thought like both him and, and Chessham, and, like we said when Martin came back from playing for England, Chesham's come back and all of a sudden he looks like he's playing at a slightly higher level, which is really good to see. It's all you want whenever you send one of your young guys away <laughs> with Eddie jones ringing, They're either going to come back broken or better. And thankfully... Chester looks like he's come back better. So that's really, really good to see. And like you say, we were rushing up a lot. We were missing a few tackles, I thought. And I thought perhaps in that first quarter, James Whitcomb, I thought, struggled a little bit in the loose, kind of getting up to the physicality. I think he fell off a couple uh, of tackles, but then he also got stripped as well. And I think that was what led to effectively the Saracens possession that eventually led to the penalty and then to the try. So in an indirect way, led to that score. But it was always going to be difficult because we are playing into a very, very hard headwind. And what I was really impressed with Wickham about was, firstly, he adapted and he got a lot better in the loose and became quite prominent. But secondly, he was up against Vincent Cock, World Cup winner for South Africa, tight head. And I thought there was only one winner in that
1: battle. Yeah, I thought, I, I, I thought for, in such an inexperienced sort of matchup, I thought he handled himself really, really well. And I don't, I don't think he took a backward step. And I don't think both in across general play and at scrum time, I don't think you can say Cock was a clear World Cup winner, you know, because he was, he was nullified. It was playing quite an equal battle. So I think that's a compliment to, to Whitcomb in terms of, you know, how he went about his business. And I thought he's doing it more and more and more. And it's, it's, he looks at this level now, you know, a, a few games ago, he still looked like he was finding his feet a little bit. And, you know, he's still learning about it, which is completely fine. He looks now a premiership level player. He looks comfortable in his environment and he looks comfortable in what he's been asked to do on the pitch by the coaches. And I think that's a really pleasing progression for him. He's only ever going to get better over the next 12 months.
0: Absolutely. And I like the way that he had a difficult first quarter and then bounced back from it. So he didn't go into his shell and perhaps just try and stay a little bit quieter and just do some basics. Well, he, he still demanded the ball. He did some really good carries. <laughs> there was one scrum where he just ploughed through vincent cock like he you know he wasn't there and that is just an awesome sight to see and even Delalio was in the background going whoa which is just really cool i thought i mean what a confidence boost that must be for him so there were two things that i thought put us on the back foot as we went through that first half and there was one thing that we could control and one thing we couldn't control the thing we couldn't control was the wind and i think they commented on it in bt sport that you saw guys like 40 and Freddie Burns trying to kick the leather off the ball and it went 20 metres. And then you saw Elliot Daly, who's got a big boot at the best of times anyway, just tapping it and it is flying 30, 40 metres, you, know, you know, bouncing once he's and bouncing touch. This just got his
1: pitching wedge out and he's like hitting it like He's a on roll. the par
0: five of a pitching wedge, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. It was a pretty clear indicator of what the conditions were doing. And I thought that meant that we were always going to be on the back foot a little bit. But then once Saracen's got that bit of field position, what was disappointing, I thought was how we conceded our tries after that first one, which I thought was a really well-taken rolling ball by Saracens. But the second try, the Lewington try, that to me was just a defensive mix-up. They shouldn't be scoring off first phase like that.
1: No. Uh, That looked remarkably soft and remarkably easy, how they take it off first phase. They mentioned, obviously, on commentary, how um, Saracens were set up in their formation. Well, we were numbered up
0: throughout. There, There was no need for us to
1: show that much space to the outside so they they set up the formation and it was just straight off the training ground put it through the hands and and into the corner they go and in in the process we you know kinney has a bit of a brain fart and oh my god and like for me i know some people disagree but for me it's a needless and stupid it's just sheer stupidity in terms of the yellow because he scored the try before kinney's even in the shot yeah. so you know there's no need for him to to dive in like that. There's no need for him to dive in the in like the, in the wave that he did. He's not painting the picture to the referee of oh, I'm just stopping a try. It looks, to all intents and purposes, a cheap shot, which is probably what it was. Because as I say the try scored and Kenny's not even in the frame.
0: I don't know if it was a cheap shot or just a very well, clumsy like it, attempt. It looks, it it looks, looks like, like it, cheap. yeah, particularly in slow motion, it does. Because he's not leading with his hands, is he? Which is the no. thing. If he could if he was going in sort of hands first, scooping along push. the floor yeah, yeah. to try and get under the ball or something, it would look a bit better. But I've got no problem with that yellow card whatsoever. In fact, it's one of my pet hates, that cheap shot on blokes diving to score the try, and people come in saying, Oh, it's trying to, you know, stop the try and it, it, You leave something in. You leave something in. And I think it's a really crap bit of play. So yeah, you know, you've got to hold up your hands and say that's disappointed from Kitty. Clumsy, I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt, but certainly worthy of a yellow. So nothing there. But what was disappointing about giving away that try was I think Potter was really narrow in defense. I'm sure there would be a reason for it, or maybe it was just a misread on how wide I think Daly was, or whoever it may have been, or it might be Maitland actually, who'd looped round. But he he was numbered up, they were fine, but Potter for some reason was too narrow. And then he's chasing back. And I'm not sure if he would have got to Maitland or not, but then that makes Freddie Burns step in and that gives the overlap for Lewington. And I saw Potter and Burns having a bit of a debate afterwards and Potter looked like he was saying, why did you step in? Why did you step in and probably Burns? And he said, because you were fucking miles away. You just left far too much room to cover. And if you're going to create uncertainty amongst people, and you also had, you know, Freddie, who's not a natural fullback in that position as well, You've got to give him as much clarity as possible. So that was disappointing. Like you say, then, the crowning turd on top was Kinney's uh, moment of madness, which turned it from a you know seven-point score into a 10-point score, which is a really well-struck kick by Lazovsky, who is a fantastic player. So that was a really disappointing bit of play. Well, it looked like we'd managed that 10-minute period after that Lasovsky penalty pretty well. I think... Fordy ended up adding a penalty himself, didn't he? One point to take it to uh, 17-13 and keeping in touch. And yet again, and we noticed this last week against Gloucester, a ball's up restart and, you know, if you're in the slips, you're telling Snowman he's dropped a dolly there because he's lifted up. He's got the measure of the ball. I know it's windy but it completely goes through his hands. Saracen's regained it. We never get reset really, do we? And then it's an easy finish for Maitland in the corner. Just being up really frustrating being our own worst enemy in that case
1: yeah I mean mean, this is what Saris do really well is that they execute those sort of bits and pieces of the game really really well and they don't give opposition teams an excuse to launch an attack and and to go and do some attacking play of their own they take care of the ball they do the basics well be really accurate in their play and they just clear their lines and you move up the field and in that situation Snyman catches the ball he brings it in you set up a drive jvp can kick it and you just take ourselves at the halfway line either with the ball in play or off the pitch or whatever and you've got yourself a platform then to settle back in and and you know you're back on halfway and it's danger averted and this is why i come back to those three bullet points of accuracy intensity and discipline because if you're not you know it's a facet of the game is a restart and if you're really inaccurate with it like you're doing not only do you give up control you hand opportunity back to the opposition you know if they are a good team and they are going to take opportunities when they're presented with them they they were they were ruthless all afternoon and and in that situation they they set something up and they scored from it and again you then you've you've done some really good work by making it 17-13 well you then go in going well we've just undone a lot of it
0: yeah exactly and that's the really frustrating point with it and you're exactly right they are ruthless they're like extra two seasons ago where the issue is not necessarily defending Exeter outside your 22. It's not giving them the territory to get the ball in an attacking sense, either in and around your 22. Because once they're there, they're probably going to score. And there's only so much you could do to avoid it. Now, we said that we thought those two tries were avoidable but Saracens to be fair if they weren't going to score then they'd probably find another way to do it they're that clinical and that ruthless so it was disappointing but that sort of started to take the game a little bit away from us and then it very much moved quickly away from us immediately after the break Saracens get the ball they run through the phases we never really get set do we and then Vincent Cock the tight head prop walks through a tight head prop sized hole. In fact, it wasn't even a tight head prop sized hole. It was the entire pack could have fit, fitted in that hole. And he waltzes straight through off an inside ball, off Alex it's good, who had a good game, and scores a try. And then I think with the conversion, that ended up making it 29-13 and it felt like game over.
1: It, again, it's similar to, to name an incident just before half time. I'm not quite sure why we, in that circumstances we went for the quick line out. I mean, presumably it was an attempt to sort of up the tempo. But in that sort of situation, I'm, I'm guessing the message from Steve is in the first 10 minutes of that half at half time, you know, the message has got to be, right, first 10 minutes, it's us that gets the first score on the board. You know, we've conceded the deficit. Let's build our way back into it. We've got the wind at our back second half. Let's find our way. Let's, let's be calm, let's be patient, let's be clinical and let's do all what we need to do to get our way back into this game. I'm really not sure in that situation it called for a, a quick line out. It certainly wasn't. Particularly when
0: our line out had been so successful at milky penalties as well.
1: Yeah, and it's not as if it was a setup where you know there's an obvious overlap or it's not such situ- a situation where by going quick we're in a position where we can actually capitalise and move up the field pretty quickly. It was just a it's a nondescript line out on the half-way line probably just inside our half. All you do at this point, like you say, is you throw the ball up, claim it down, set up a drive, and then you can do whether it's a box kick, whether it's a, a move or whatever we wanted to do or milk a penalty, whatever it is, you're in a position then to try and do it. And like you say, we still slipped off tackles. We never really felt comfortable in our defence on our in around round 22. And if it, sorry that that ruck had been a bit more clinical at getting the ball out, Cock would have walked under the post without a hand going anywhere near him. You know, he would have just waltzed in for an unaffected try. And it was, it's not often our defence gives away those opportunities. So it's, it's so I'm not going to moan too much because again we are pretty good in these sort of things. It is very surprising though to have allowed such a big hole up up and running uh, for a, for a player like on a team like Sarus to exploit.
0: We just didn't get on top of them on that set at all. Most of the time our defence will have one big shot or one point where we slow the ball down, and that will allow the rest of the defence to get set. And then we're happy days, pretty happy with it with that. And that is partly due to some really good carrying by Saracens. I think Tomkins uh, did a really good carry, and we just didn't quite managed to slow them down enough and we looked at sixes and sevens which I've not really seen a lot this season in fact at all so that was disappointing and as it was I don't think cock did have a hand laid on him but he would have had you you know social distancing space (laughs) if if they'd have done it quicker so I thought at that point the game's gone 29-13 but to be fair to us we then launch a pretty impressive fight back don't we and it starts with a series of rolling balls a series of penalties, come on to those in a second. And then Nick Dolly gets over, driving ball. And I think we've spoken before about Montoya scoring one of the best of the season in terms of control. This was right up there by Dolly, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, 100%. I thought he, his control and his, his position at the back of the mall all afternoon, I thought was really, really good. And I thought he you know, he picked up the form from early in the season where some of the tries we were scoring with him at the ship, he, helm of the ship. Where he just guides and he, you know, works a route through, and he's he's very very good at it, and you know that's a really good move for us. And actually, it's actually really good ball defence by Saris. I mean, it, it, as you mentioned beforehand, there's it's question marks of the legality of that ball defence, but they they they're shifting us towards the sideline pretty pretty quickly, and it's really good play by the backs to come in and with their shunt they take that pincer movement away, and it allows mm-hmm. Dolly just to straight up focus the line and get himself over, but. You know, it's not an easy try to have scored. It's Dolly's that. awareness
0: because he could have followed one pod off effectively towards the touchline. But, but he senses, the right pod. Yeah, he, he follows the right pod. He, he senses where the weakness is towards the line and he follows that. And I thought it was just really well manufactured by everyone involved, but really well driven, steered I, by Dolly at the end.
1: Yeah, I think all afternoon we, we got the snap in our malls really, really well where we set ourselves up. Yeah. And then there was a moment where it went, snap. And we just shifted.
0: Yeah. Weirdly, I thought we defended their ball really well, apart from when it was close to our line. <laughs> in which case it was, you yeah, know, fair play to Saracens again, being clinical and ruthless, like we said. But th- it takes me to a point where th- that was about the third attempt at that. And it was on a- another penalty advantage, I think, when he went over. And um, This was something I saw that people talked about the officiating, but their penalty count, I think, ended up 17 conceded by Saracens, six by Tigers. Now that is an insanely one-sided penalty count that would usually lead to one side winning and one side losing, and not the way round we've got it in this game. When I watched it through, I was struck by just how many penalties there were for not rolling away. Saracen's very clever at falling on the wrong side initially and then waving and screaming to show that they're getting away. But they're putting themselves there in the first place because they know it slows your ball down by half a second a second, which can be crucial. More defence... There were some obvious, some subtle, some clever bits of deception or illegality, if you like, with it. But pushing it got, the
1: boundaries, pushing Mike, the boundaries,
0: it's... which all good sides should do, and which we yeah. do, of course. You know, I've got absolutely no con saying it. But Matt keys picked up a lot of these and he penalised them correctly. But I don't even know if they got a final warning at any particular point. And I thought that looking at that penalty count, he must have had it in his mind that hang on, this is getting a bit out of hand and should have been looking to at least put them on notice. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of penalties, not in the 22. So around the halfway line, where it's almost, it doesn't have a material impact on the game per se, but, it's, but they were numerous. And like you say, when you're getting to the situation where after 50 minutes, you're at 12, 13 penalties, that's an abnormally large amount of penalties. That, like you say, that yeah. would suggest you're 20 30 points down at that point So conceded that, that many penalties because that's a very one sided way of going about things. I- I'm surprised because even on like the commentary, Delalio and Care even they picked up there was a five minute period where there's three penalties given away in the 22. And at that point, to me, that should have been a trigger for Maxwell Keys to go to, to Jackson Ray or whoever the skipper was and say, Look. You're already on a large amount of penalties for the game anyway, and running in the 50th minute, I've got three in the 22 for different penalties. If it goes again, I'm look. I've got to go to the. I'm looking at yellow card, or you know, you've you've got to have some sort of warning mechanism in there because you can't just give away penalties without impunity. You can't just be. You just can't just keep doing that without any sort of punishment or impunity for it. Because ultimately, you end up getting what game happens where the defense can just do whatever they want. And they have no that there's no sort of risk to them, there's no downside to them. So I'm amazed in that period of time that someone didn't go to the bin or at least get a warning being generated. Because we can discuss, I know there's another incident later on in the game, and we'll have our discussion about that. But to me, that incident doesn't decide the game later on, whether it's a yellow or red with Davis. To me, the game is where it's decided. Is actually if there's a yellow card for all these penalties that are given away by the forwards by Saracens. If one of those goes to the bin for 10 minutes, that has a material impact on the game because of how they were defending and how what their role is in the team. And I think not doing so, I think had a bigger impact on how that game ended up.
0: Yeah, I know what you will say with that. And I think I agree because past me thought, well, if they lost another player, we didn't do a lot when we went up, uh, man advantage up later on when Alan Davis got his yellow card. So why would we have taken advantage of it then. But as you say, uh, forward in the way that Saracens were defending and the way that we were taking them on would have been a big loss for them. And it's not just the number of penalties, it's the type of penalties that they were giving away, I think. Cynical. Well, cynical possibly, probably, but in terms of, you could divide them all into effectively two types of penalties, which were mall offences, as they were collecting them all, or side entries and offside surrounding them all because our mall was moving. Or uh, not rolling away not rolling away in particular I thought was a really regular one and that was happening all over the park and it should just for me have been Maxwell Keys's position to say well, look this is just too many you're just not rolling away quick enough you're putting yourself on the wrong side you shouldn't be there in the first place get out and it was not really in keeping with how Maxwell Keyes usually refs I think he's one of the better refs in the premiership and I don't think he had a bad game I'm not going to say that he had a bad game I thought he called pretty much everything correctly.
1: He called the penalties. He called, penalties. It's not he called to... the
0: penalties. It was just then the resulting... Yeah, like you say, the result of those penalties should have led somewhere else. That was one set of decisions. The other decision that was quite important, obviously, was Alan Davis getting a yellow card. Saracen Scrum half, head-on-head contact with Fordy. Now, Maslow Key starts, probably correctly say, it's high degree of force, high degree of danger, which is a big head clash. I'm starting at red. And he mitigates the stepping in. Now... I don't have too much of a problem with this decision to give it as a yellow card. I I know some people do and I can understand that because I thought it was quite narrowly and finely balanced between the yellow and red card. Joe Lone got in touch with me, said "Look, direct head-on-head tackle when Davies makes no attempt to make a legal tackle, surely that's got to be an automatic red. And he also points to the lack of team warning being absurd. it's hard to see if it's a legal tackle because I, I think what we are saying is George Ford steps into him and therefore he was surprised at the tackle taking place and therefore that's why the head contact has occurred. But George Ford doesn't change his height. So Alan Davis is always running in to make an upright tackle. And I think Delalio said that, well, you know, do you expect guys to be changing how they run? I was like, yeah, if you're expecting to make a, a tackle, it's not inconceivable that a bloke is going to try and step inside at a certain point. So you need to be ready for that and brace for it and low and actually as it stands this wasn't like a right angle 90 degree for stepping in and a guy covering across now those ones i can understand where a guy is covering towards a touchline on a winger yeah. trying to cover it off and then at the last second the winger steps inside and the defender's got nowhere to go because he's hurtling at full tilt to stop it. this was part of a defensive line rushing up and therefore i i can see the argument as to why it should have been a red card, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think he needed to be that high.
1: No, I agree with you. For me, I don't think there's enough mitigation in terms of the step to take it from a red to a yellow. Because I understand the argument that there's a step and therefore that's your mitigation. But I don't think Ford dropped his height enough for it to be enough of a mitigation. And like you say, he hasn't dropped his height. He hasn't dramatically changed an angle of where he's running. Davis is always in that bad position of I'm upright and I'm at force. You, you're left yourself very, very, if nothing else, he leaves himself very, very open for at least a yellow card because he's got nowhere else to go. And his feet were almost planted a little bit, which means it's, it's always going to be high. The net result of all of this is it's a bad position to find yourself in. And eventually when there is a step at speed, it looks really bad. I put something on Twitter on Sunday and I got a bit of a hammer and, and it, it I'm not saying yellow, I'm not saying it has to be a red and it's a disaster, that it's a yellow. Like you just said, you can. I can understand why a yellow, I don't agree with it, but I can understand why a yellow was given because there isn't mitigation. What I found so hilarious was the Saris fans, and I should say this, all the Saris fans that we met were properly sound. They're all good all good people and they're just true fans like us, all the it. But there's this one Saris fan near me, and of course I'm going. Oh, you know, you're a bit partisan in the stands. So I go, "Right, well, it's a red, that's a red, it's a red." Head on head, it's a red, and it went, "Mate, it's not, it's not barely a penalty, mate. Rugby incident. It's not even a penalty." And you just go, "That, Lord, give me the confidence to say that with a straight face." So that's what I put the tweet about. Basically, this. you met my equivalent or at Saracen. Well, that's you're not even it. that one. I, I maybe mean, <laughs> it was just it was just the the confidence to sit there with a straight face and go, "It's not even a penalty, mate. What are you on about?" And that's my point: is that I think it's a red. I don't think there's enough mitigation. I understand why a yellow was given. I'm not disputing that. I still think there isn't enough of a, a, a difference to take it away from being a red card.
0: Uh, I, I can see that. I'm kind of convincing myself it was a red, but at the same time, I can live with it being a yellow. We should have done more when he was off anyway for 10 minutes, and we didn't. We didn't take advantage of it. It is what it is. I think a lot of people also got upset because then Callum Green got penalized for a neck roll which he wasn't yellow carded for but they had DeLalio sort of braying across on the comms demanding that he should be yellow carded then Alistair Eakin who I usually quite like for some reason saying that's how people do their knees in and I thought that they don't do their knees in through neck rolls they do their knees in by crocodile rolls he's, he's getting himself mixed up on one or the other. A few people got a bit upset about the comms I, I didn't think it was quite as bad. I because I obviously watched the game later because I was Chasing Freddy down the rapids, not sorry, not down the rapids, because that sounds like I've negligently just pushed my two year old down the rapids. I was going down a water slide with him in a life jacket, holding him safely and securely when he was allowed to go on it. It wasn't just That's, that social services satisfied, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that is the legal position on it, as far as I'm concerned. But so I watched the game later and I had seen all this stuff about him saying, Oh, how crap the comms were. I do think they got themselves into a little bit of a circle wank about Saracens in the last quarter. So, you know, I do understand that, but I don't think it was quite as bad as people said. I mean, my main gripe about the comms more than anything was Delalio's noises in the background. All you could hear was what sounded like a truffle pig. Oh, Yeah, just blow your nose, mate. Just blow your nose. Just blow your nose, Lowe. What are you doing? It was disgusting going on in the background the entire way through. It was dreadful. Anyway, we then do make a good fist of coming back to it. Ironically, when they're back up to their full complement, Chesham gets over the score. In the build-up, to, I thought our subs had had a really good impact overall, hadn't they? Matt Scott had another really strong game. Just reminded, remind you, you know, we're talking about uh, Guy Porter and Dan Kelly locking down those centre positions. Scotty was class, wasn't he? And Maroney coming back in, not having played for a long time. Both of them looked very, very classy. Kept quite quiet in the first half, but... Second half in particular, we saw Matt Scott make some nice
1: breaks. Rolls-Royce centres between the pair of mm. them, to be fair. I mean, I thought Moroni had some nice touches, and I think he, yeah. you know, he, the gathering off the he post. He hits is, fucking hard in defence, doesn't he? He does hit hard. And, it, you know, the gathering off the post as well, because it's not, when you run onto the ball like that in that instant, it's not a given that you catch the ball. But not only did he catch the ball, he broke through and set up a subsequent attack for us. So that's a really bit of good skill for him. And I think Scotty, I think some really nice carries, some really nice lines from him. Good turn of pace. a Nice kick in the first half for, for Kinney, which Kinney didn't dive on. Uh, so I think Scott... Yeah, I, mean, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, I mean... I mean, it's a good Kinney job we scored, straight, we scored straight afterwards, so it didn't Kinney really did matter. did everything apart from dive on the ball. If he, you know, dive on it, he so He was waiting for it to sort of kick up into him, wasn't he? And he just yeah, thought, oh, just, 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 just fall over. Yeah, exactly. But oh. I thought Scott, I thought Scotty was really good and I thought there was some really yeah, nice good game between Scotty and Namani. Oh, that's offload by Namani. Yeah, I mean, like you say, just get round the back, see you later, pal. In, it wasn't even round the back. I think he had like two blokes sort of like... Well, one, he just sort one reached round behind. the back, didn't he? He just reached round the back. Well, he goes... reached
0: round the back of one bloke, but the other guy had come in to try and shut it off. So he effectively put it through, through a gap. You know, it's like driving for a four through the covers where you've actually just got two d- fielders next to each other and he... he He just pushed it straight through this gap with the offload. Just genius. And straight back to Matt Scott. Great supporting line. I thought he had a really, really good game. So I was pleased to see him play. And I thought the subs did have a good game. I thought Visa wasn't as destructive as he would be in terms of breaking tackles. In fact, I thought he was quite well met. But that's because I think when you're a player like Visa, I think you need to start the game rather than come off the bench. Because particularly against a side like Saracens, because they're so physical, you need to kind of grow into that physicality with them. Coming off a bench cold, what sounded like a Baltic day <laughs> and trying to get up to that level of physicality and curiosity, I think is really challenging. But he still adds tempo, doesn't he?
1: Oh, I can confirm it was certainly Baltic. That afternoon, I can happily confirm that. But yeah, I've, I, I agree with you. It's tough in that situation because everyone's expect you almost got the battle of expectations as well. Because everyone goes, oh, just just be disruptive, then you know, just come off the bench and just do, you know, barrel, do, what, do what you do, do what yeah, you do. Go, go do some damage. And you go, well, you know, it does it doesn't quite work like that. You have got there is you know, everyone is human. Everyone's got to find a way back into the game. So, but no, I think, like you said, the impact off a bench you know, when you have a team selection like that, the bench choices have to bring, bring that energy, have to bring that impact for you because otherwise you you you've, you have got it all wrong if they don't. So yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed their impact that they brought for us.
0: Yeah, we got the game to 29-27, some good kicking by 40, actually, some good conversions. Got us really, really close and within two points you thought, hello, here comes another last minute win. Doesn't quite happen in the end. Saracens, to their credit, some good breakdown work by them. A few inaccurate clear outs. They get down our own. Wilson Croft scores a try, seals it 34 27.
1: Yeah, for the first time in the second half, they actually had a five minute period where they put some control over the game. For yeah. you know for the entire second half, apart from obviously, actually, the first five minutes of the second half, they got a try. The and last, the last five, five minutes of the second half, <laughs> the second minutes of the five minutes, they got a try. The bit in between, for that half an hour, it was all Leicester. And, you know, you know we scored. You know, I think two converted tries, so it's 14 points in that period. It's a good return away from home in a half an hour period, away at Saris. 14 points on an answer is a really good return. Where, where the issue is, is that we had a bit of a brain fart in the first half and gave away 10 points. And then, you know, we had a bit of a brain fart at the back end of the first half and give away a, a late try. We have a bit of a brain fart at the start of the second half and give another try away. You know, it's those little bits and pieces where actually, if we'd have been a bit more tidy and a bit more accurate in our work, both in attack and defence, that's where the game's won and lost. And you actually, you go, actually, seven points, defeat, you feel it could you know, it could have been better, it could have been worse. But offensively, we gave ourselves too much of a mountain to climb and we just couldn't get there in the end. But you know, I've read some bit of nonsense over the, you know, just to give you a bit of a warning, if you listen to the Times Ruck podcast for this week, which is normally very, very good. However, mm. it is ruined because uh, I disagree he...
0: with you there. Stephen Jones is Well,
1: I was just about to say he who must not be named was on was on the pod this week and apparently was at Stone X and was give was spouting up some drivel on the podcast about how Sarri's absolutely did a job on Leicester. Categorically, that is the biggest load of nonsense you will ever see. So ignore just a trigger warning. And this is coming. Go in... This is coming warned. from the man, by
0: the way, Stephen Jones, who said with a straight face and with utter sincerity that Toby Falatow is the best number eight to have ever played the game, ever, across all countries, in all eras. Sinzabrook, jog on. Kieran Reid? Kieran Reid, see you later. Lawrence Delalio, not interested. Sergio Parise, who? You can even go back in some of the Welsh greats. <laughs> I think you had Mervyn Davis, didn't you? Merv the Swerve. Uh, who was apparently uh, I never saw him play, but see some old footage was uh, an absolute card. And yeah, Dean
1: Richards wants to say hello as well. Dean
0: Richards wants to say that. I mean, like, the, yeah, the list is is pretty huge. So he, I'd, he's gone from being what I understand to be a good rugby journalist to being effectively a bit of a shock jock as far as it comes to uh, to the game. But look, let's take a look at the game holistically as a whole. We talked about it at the start. I think Times will take quite a lot out of this and. I don't think anyone really had a bad game. Perhaps Fordy and Burnsy, our two playmakers, had quieter games and they have to take the can between them of not being able to perhaps unleash too many clear-cut try-scoring opportunities with all that attack. But credit to Saracen's defence as well, which was really good. But who stood out for you? Who do you think on a positive front? Who Who stood out for you in terms of having a good game?
1: Well, actually, I think the front... The starting front row and the starting back row, now, considering um, the ages of the average age of the front row is 21 and a half, and the average age of the back row was 21, to go toe to toe with um, a pretty tough Saris pack and to, to really um, put yourself about like that, I think is a real positive. And I think that shows you you know, what's so exciting. Again, I beg of the club, please manage our squad for the next 10 years properly, because that is the next 10 years. It's all there for us, because those boys are only going to get better. I mean, they're pretty good now. Give us, and they're 21, give us 10 more years of that at their peak. And oh my word, you're going to start seeing some glory days coming back to Leicester, because they are special. Please, please, please protect them. And I think in the, you know, those six in front and back row, I think they matched up really well. They're opposite numbers. They put themselves around and their work rate was really good. Cheshire came back, nicked a couple of line outs, and looks comfortable in his environment. And he looks like he stepped up a gear. There's a lot of good stuff there from a very young side. And ignore some of the hot takes that are doing around at the moment about from the London press and the London media. that this is like, Sally's put down a marker. It's all irrelevant. It means nothing.
0: Right. Let's wrap this up. Let's see the three word reviews. Elliot, have you got
1: a couple? Yeah, well, to be fair, absolute so many to go through. And so thank you very much for everyone get, to get in touch. It was, it's really tough to try and pick some up because a, there's so many and so, and B so many good ones. So, um, it does make so many good ones that premiership
0: rugby decided to nick this feature and pass it off as their own. Didn't they?
1: Yeah. And we've, we've not got any money for it. So I'm, um, you know, we can't be bothered to go into legalities, but we all know who started this. We all know who's, uh, who's nicking the content. So stick, don't with the, stick with the originals. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. So, um I've got one, uh, Ann Dawkins, who put just fell short. I think that's a uh, about right. A pretty fair summing up of the game. It felt
0: like we were on the road to doing one of those last-minute comebacks that we'd be sat here gloating about. Uh, alas, it wasn't to be. And say, first five minutes of the second half, last five minutes of the second half, uh, saw that to be the case. Uh, Wiggy Tiger, in his 3,000-word review uh, to us in, by email, says Maxwell off-key, which I like the word play, off-key. Like yeah. uh, but his focus on this was talking about a lot of the penalties that came in quick succession for similar things and were in their own Twitter too and they managed to avoid warnings for, even if it's not resulting in a yellow card, getting put on a team warning changes those behaviours. It's the yes. point that Wiggy Tiger makes and the point that we discussed earlier. And that could have been important. So I think that's a really good three-word review and extra point for the word play as well.
1: No, definitely. Uh, Pelham TP put catch the kickoff. You know, we we spoke about it earlier. It's those basic things where, by not doing so, we've given away seven points. And you know, what did we lose by seven points? You know, it's it's those bits and pieces that on on these big games, it's fine margins. So yeah, I think that's it's been an area of weakness for quite a few times this season. So back to drawing board and um, back to uh, being a bit more accurate with it.
0: Ali Morgan got in touch and said, take the points, which I agree with. I think that we should have been taking the three points. I think we discussed this off there, and I think we discussed it when we were recording, did we? Because right. my point was, I thought we were talking about Maxwell Key's decisions. I thought we could have been talking about our decisions to keep going for the corner, which was unsuccessful for a while until we eventually rolled over. But actually, in that time, we had several penalties where we could have banged in three points I agree with Ali here I thought we should have taken three points once Ali Davies got his yellow card straight away bang that over and I think we get four points behind and because of the wind and the way that that half was going and with the man advantage we should have had confidence to get ourselves back down into their half into their territory and get more penalties and kick them over so I agree with Ali hindsight's nice too we don't know if it would have worked or not I say take the points you don't agree though do
1: you? It's not that I don't agree. I was. It's more when I watched the game back, and I did have that in the back of my mind, and it was something to look. I would looked out for of go. Well, how many kickable penalties did we miss out on? It f- didn't feel that there was a lot of obvious, like let's stop the game, kick the ball over moments. A lot of the time, I was quite happy with the fact we were going to touch because of how strong our driving game was. The one incident, and I said to you before going on air, where I possibly disagreed with what our decision was was when we went for the scrum and as it goes, Jasper runs headfirst into the defensive line. And if he'd have, like they said on commentary, if he'd have looked up and knocked it, you know, passed it along, it sets up Namani on a on a charge, which maybe results in something. It That was the one where I would have probably either killed for free or gone to touch. I didn't understand the reason for going for the scrum in that incident. I personally didn't think there was, there was some obvious points left over and I could understand given... We had them dri- driving them everywhere while we did it, but I take the point. The con- last- con-
0: Just quickly on that, controversial take. Fordy was a captain, wasn't he? Yes. He'd just been sparcoed. Another point on that. I think he should have gone off for an HIA.
1: Agreed. I, I thought um, that was appalling. For- it didn't get picked up by whoever decides these things.
0: Yeah, I agree. Tigers medical staff, I think that's elapsed by them for not spotting it, but in particular, the independent doctor who's supposed to be on the lookout for these things. Really surprised that that didn't get picked up, but he'd just been sparkled. Sparkled. He was seeing stars for at least a few seconds, which should have been an HIA, and for Davies as well. Actually, he went down like a sack of potatoes. So you looked at this and you thought, well, was his decision making process? Was he did he have his blood up to a point where it was like, no, I want tries, or was he slightly skewed in that decision making process? Just a thought.
1: Yeah, I can get that. I can get that. Uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting point. They um, Then I will try and group up as many as, as possible of some free word reviews, purely because they were of a theme. So we've got H, which is at Tiger underscore 1880, who put not clinical enough. Um, so Bob of Pure, or um, at Pure underscore Bob, who put learn more ruthlessness. Um, ben Whiteman put opportunities, went begging. And James Watts was redstone inefficiency. And I think that sums up on a theme of where we um, we fell a bit short on the weekend.
0: Where we fell short and where Saracens excelled. And of course, a special shout out to Shazam Harrison, our special guest of last week, who felt the need to chime in with a three-word review of Cockpiss Partridge, which was excellent. But I'm disappointed, Sam, that you didn't go with scum, subhuman scum, which I thought would have been a better three-word review to describe Saracens. But... Maybe a bit punchy, but anyway, well done everyone for getting in touch. Thank you for that. Sorry we can't read out everyone, but there were some really good ones there and we look forward to seeing them all next week. All aboard this indecent steam train as we head into the nether regions of Elliot's imports. Elliot, mate, um, second row, number four shirt. Four contenders for it,
1: appropriately. One winner. Who was it? Yeah, so uh, Mike Fitzgerald, Leo Cullen, Big Bad uh, big bad Brad Fawn and Thomas Lavanini were all fighting it out for the number four jersey. And there was only one winner and there can only be on one winner. And the public chose wisely and Leo Cullen was the uh, uh, ultimate winner with 61% of the vote. So, um, yeah, I think we've got, to be fair, that backs up. A pretty tasty front row, Leo Cullen in the second row. I think it's a pretty nice, um, pretty nice start to the rest of the pack,
0: yeah. Very good, and I, I saw some pretty good debate on it as well. There was a point, I think, was it Ian Morton who raised the suggestion he goes that in his head he was saying Leo Cullen, but in his heart he wanted Brad Thorne to be selected because I think he scored. Uh, an unbelievable try. Didn't he didn't see the European Cup, I think. Too long, I think. Too long. Yeah, he was all galloping away, this sort of like grizzled, gnarly New Zealand second row. It's a sight that Welford Road are just going to go absolutely ballistic for. And they did. And I was just uh, relieved to see that good old boring common sense came to the fore. And I think Leo Cullen certainly offered more, I thought, over more seasons.
1: Yes. Yeah, a consistent performer um took us to big glory so um no happy with it um leo was chosen so we now turn to the five shirt oh
0: wow we're gonna get a big partnership here i reckon
1: so we've got a couple of options to um go through and a big thank you to Stuart keen who's um whose statistics and keeping records over the years has been a huge amount of help for us and it allowed us to um Gives a better idea of who the actual proper options are. Yeah, uh, cheers, here. Stuart.
0: Genuinely, you're an absolute
1: Norse in the best sense of the word. Thanks for all your work on that. So it really is appreciated because it actually gives us a better idea of what we we're um, looking at. So the three are Fritz van Heerden, Marco venstal and Mike Fitzgerald again. So th- th- just to explain that last one, thanks to Stuart's point is that Fitzgerald played just as many games at five um, as he did four. He was equal across both. Well, not equal, but, you know, he played a lot of games at both shirts. So there's a fair argument that he could be thrown in for the five shirt if he wasn't successful at four. So, yeah, so Van Heerden, venzel Fitzgerald uh, to take on the five shirt.
0: Well, that's a good selection there. Fitzgerald, we already said what he bought, in particular in his first season, I thought he was really, really good from New Zealand. So, sort yeah. Of classy, all-court all second row New Zealand are really good. And then you've got two South Africans. Yeah, Marco Venzel. obviously he went on and did a lot of, at Wasp, but he was a really good line-out operator, wasn't he? Not yeah. the biggest in the world, but he was like this salmon that just got chucked in the air and st- stole opposition ball. I thought he was a really impressive player for us for a short period of time. And I think he was also only here for two years, but Fritz van Heerden, that was just at the start of when I was really going to Tigers regularly, or certainly what I can remember, and I can remember seeing him paired with Jono and Frit you know, even next to Jono, this was an absolute unit of a man. Shout out to Oxford Cleaver on Twitter, and his description of him was, Fritz was shaped like a cartoon character, like an ice cream cone, and the upper body strength of the guy, I once remember him holding a maul away, all by himself, standing upright. Incredible. I think I remember that as well, effectively the entire opposition pack, trying to roll them all in one direction. And he was the only person there on that side. And he just held them off like an angry father with a gaggle of irritating children. And he was absolutely superb. Springbok, part of that sort of 97 core, aggressive, gnarly group that they had that faced the Lions and hell of a signing for two years. He gets my vote.
1: No, definitely. And like you say, anyone that can partner Jono and make Jono not look as, as as big as he is that probably tells you a thing about the bloke
0: absolutely so you're going to put up your usual votes uh, requests I think this one might be a bit closer because of the age disparity of people some some people might not quite remember Fritz van Heerden
1: yeah I think this could be a quite a close one But um, and in the meantime if you could lob across suggestions for the sixth jersey that would be much appreciated and let's see who we're uh, going to be discussing next week
0: Well, I was going to launch into one of my Irish accents, but I've been told by our legal department that I should avoid doing that from now on. So we'll just say in a very blunt English way, top of the morning. It's London Irish this weekend back at Welford Road. And it's not quite the Irish cheer that you usually get when you play London Irish because you think, oh, that'll be a fun game. We'll end up beating them but they'll play some exciting rugby in the meantime. Like you might have expected over the last few seasons. This Irish side means serious business, doesn't it? It's
1: going to be a tough game. It's going to be a big game. I mean, we it's talk about
0: things. Gloucester, you know, from two weeks ago. We said, you know, this could go either
1: way. Um, I'm putting this in the same bracket, mate. Yeah, I I, I, I quite agree. I think it's, a, um, it's all set up to be a really fascinating afternoon, to be honest, because, you know, Irish are a team that ever since Christmas, really, have been building something and they've got um, built up a bit of a headwind and they come into uh, to Saturday's game in good form. So I think we've got to be um, certainly on our mettle and I don't think we can be anything other than 100% uh, committed to this. And, you know, it's not as if there's any doubts on this, but, you know, Borthwick doesn't allow such things as complacency and all that sort of jazz to, uh, to, 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 to be allowable at Leicester. But, you know, you've got to respect... Irish and you've got to expect what they're about and I think we've got to be our bring our A game to um, to nullify them well it's interesting I think they're just a really fascinating team at the moment they've got
0: that sort of peak level of quality you want all over the park which is not quite test standard yes NQTS we're going to call it now and we're going to trademark it copyright it and all that stuff and what's so, can rugby nick it yeah exactly but, you know, London Irish are proper NQTS, which makes them brilliant in particular during these international periods because they effectively have this really nice, even standard across their squad. They're really, really good. Not quite good enough to get international recognition, although perhaps some of them and more of them should be. Ollie or Collins, case in point, for me, he'd be playing for England... And offering some much-needed cut and thrust, but well, that's a different argument. Are you listening, Eddie? What have you no. been most impressed with them about? Uh, as you say, in particular since Christmas,
1: yeah, I, I, I tweeted a few weeks ago saying that Irish is an outside bet for top four, and they're now rocketing up the table to such an extent that you know they are genuine, very much top four contenders, and, and they are deservedly being spoken about as being in contention for that fourth spot. I like, like you say, you look at the back three that they've got, and it's so dangerous. It's it's one where you can't give them any space because they will exploit it. They've got pace, they've got power. A huge amount of talent out there. So we need to make sure that um, that needs to be stopped uh, at source. You've got try scoring um, extraordinaire. And like you said before we came on there, battle for hookers. Because Creevy versus Montoya, two Argentinian hookers going absolutely toe to toe with each other. I think that would be an absolutely superb battle to uh, to watch. And you know, cannot stand the bloke. And there's a, obviously there's a bit of a history there, but he does play for them. Paddy Jackson at ten is mm. playing well for him. So again, he's just he's a danger man for him. And in the first game down at um, down at Brentford. You know, they made it really awkward for us. They, it wasn't an easy afternoon for Tigers. And for the first 60 minutes, it was pretty even. Stevens and Irish were really niggly and we just couldn't get a read on them. And in that last 20, we brought on um, some substitutions um, and we reverted to a game plan that very much consisted of, you know, getting our driving wall going, big ball carriers, getting over the game line. It, it didn't go. We stopped trying to play the ball expansively. We went to a very simplified game plan. And it sucked in penalties. We 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 beat Irish up up front. We started taking them away from it, and we got a few penalties. Allowed ourselves to get some pe- uh, field position. We got better penalties in better position. 40 kicked the goals over, and then we eventually went to, came away um, victors. But it wasn't an easy victory by any means, and we had to make we were, had to work very hard to get the win. And I suspect the same, same again is going to happen. So
0: Irish's defense isn't. Brilliant. It's, you know, perhaps improved slowly as the league's gone on, but their attack is quite rightly what they get plaudits for. Just having a look at some of their fixture results, because they're one point off fourth, they're in fifth. So they're wow. definitely very much in the mix for fourth. Legitimate, not even outside bets anymore. They're properly in the fight for it. And I think they've only lost in games that have actually taken place. I think they may have had a COVID loss at some point, but they've only lost one game in the premiership since the turn of the year. That was away at Gloucester. And they got quite soundly beaten 24-7 then. But since then, their scores are beating Bristol away 49-32. Then they beat Saracens at home 32-30. 27 all draw away at sale. And then beating Worcester at home 43-12. So scoring points is not an issue. You mentioned in there... Again, like you, I've got my thoughts about the guy off the pitch, Paddy Jackson, and it in no way feeds into what my mission statement would be for Tigers in that game, which is to target the living shit out of Paddy Jackson, run over him all day, because he is genuinely the absolute architect of everything they do in attack. And what I mean by that is that when we have the ball, we have to be sending Visa, Nadolo, Hanro, Montoja, whoever it is, whoever wants to have a pop, get in, get at him run over him, make him tackle until he can't lift his arms up anymore. You've got to try and somehow negate him, shut him down, tire him, so that when the opportunity does come to him with the ball in hand, he will still look to make things happen, but he will just be that little bit more wary, that little bit more tired, perhaps half a second off what he may usually be doing. And that, I think, is the way that we've got to be with them. I think teams sometimes get sucked into thinking about London Irish, that you take him on up front that you're going to beat them up up front because traditionally that's where they've been a bit weak. They've got a cracking front row. They've got uh, Giganja, G- Geng- G- Geng- G- I think, I can never pronounce his name, He obviously, we were sad to let go, was a really promising loose head, obviously. Another Argentinian as well, a good crop of those we've had at Tigers. You've got Creavy, who he talks about, it's going to be a hell of a battle with Montoya. And you've got guys like, you've got Hoskins, haven't you? And they've got Goodrick Clark, who is a really talented prop as well really abrasive back row. They've got uh, Cracknell, who is ultra-physical. They've got Tuasova, I think, number eight, who's moving away to Gloucester, I think, isn't he? Yeah. He's going to be a great signing for them. He is very, very physical, very athletic. So you're not actually really going to necessarily get that dominance that you'd expect up front. You've got the two big Aussies, I think, as well, in the second row, Simmons, and they're really gnarly and they know their way around a mall defence. They can be real pains in the ass. So, it's not necessarily going to be a side that you can easily beat up up front that we've traditionally thought. Instead, I think you have to go after their halfbacks because you've also got Phipps there as well, who is a really smart operator. Halfbacks have to be targeted in
1: attack and defence in my view. No, definitely. and It's interesting, as I look at the uh, the premiership table um, in front of me, Irish as a team have scored more tries than anyone else. So, uh, according, This is off Premiership Rugby's um, website as well. So, Irish have scored 69 tries. Uh, the next highest is Sarries with 67 and then Harlequin's with 65. Uh, incidentally, we're then fourth with 62. Tries against, this is where Irish do struggle, but they're not the worst uh, in this. But they are the worst in the top six because they've conceded 58 tries with the next highest being Gloucester on 51 so that's quite a sizable difference yeah, yeah. just to put it in context Tigers have got the joint best defense which is actually, to be fair is what you'd expect and it's joint top with Saris with both conceding 38 tries so again that probably tells you where the battle's going to be is the uh, a very good defense comes up a very good attack so we'll be a really hell of a are, test hell of yeah. a test
0: for them and particularly you know, if we're going to chop and change again, it's going to be quite difficult for them to come back up. But the way we defend, which is quite an aggressive press, will be one that will both pressurise Jackson and present him with opportunities. So we have to make sure that our press get is exactly spot on. Now, we don't know who's injured. We never do. We don't know if Coley's actually sort of running around as just getting a nice, well-earned rest for the run-in. We don't know if Hanro's fine. Uh, we don't know... If Montage is fine, but we assume that they are. We haven't seen any obvious injuries from them. Let's assume the best and people are fit, that we want to be fit.
1: Uh, what team are you selecting for the weekend? Oh, wow, what an interesting question. Um, I think you'll see a side that's pretty similar to one that played against Gloucester. I Agreed. wouldn't be surprised if Scott and Moroni continue. Um, Ooh. However... The one player I thought we missed against Saris was Dan Kelly. Agreed. Um, it tr- it's it's a so tough at centre because there's so many, you know, you've got four players who are absolute quality and it is hard to justify because Scotty had such a good game. Moroni was classed against Saris. You go, well, that could be a combination that, that works and you know it's worked previously. You could also go uh, Kelly and Maroni but then that feels a little bit harsh against to drop Scotty after he played well. Then you're like, well, what do we do with Guy Porter? So I suspect Moroni will start at 13 still, because I think he's a very good defender. I think he defends the outside channel really, really well. And I think that experience of negating uh, Irish trying to get on the outside, I think his experience and ability will be imperative. I suspect it'll be a battle between Kelly and Scott. I suspect um Kelly probably um probably does win it. So um be interesting to see how he picks. So obviously, you've got Ashton um as well um back three, contention, obviously, with Hayden. Did you three. see my
0: did you see my stats that I plucked out with Stuart Farmer? Uh well, Stuart Farmer confirmed this, but
1: it was my guess. Yes. The uh, the um, well, it's two players we're never going to go on the pod now because you've insulted them. But, uh, <laughs> I haven't insulted them. I've just said a fact. <laughs> to anyone
0: uninitiated, I cocked about three days after the Glosser game I messaged Stuart Farmer who's a Leicester Tigers historian and also just general premiership rugby stats guru I said Namani Nadolo, and Chris Ashton started for Leicester Tigers they had a combined age this really irritated me they had a combined age literally of 68 years and 364 days they were literally one day off being 69 years on the button which I'd have just loved just because you know 69 (laughs) lol and anyway, that's the kind of standard of humour on this podcast. So anyway, that was their age. And I said to Stuart from, does that make them the oldest starting pair of wingers collectively in premiership rugby history? And the answer was an emphatic, yes, they were. So wow. dad's, dad's army on the wing. And every game they start
1: together now will be another record. That's unbelievable. Get on that. Okay. We need a dad's army theme tune. Uh, being well, one of them,
0: when one of them scores.
1: Yeah, Pike.
0: Yeah, exactly. Which well, yeah, which one's Pike? Well if one of that's them As- gets Ashton's card- Ashton's Pike.
1: Well if he? one of them yellow if one of them does get yellow carded, someone does have <laughs> to go up to uh up to like to the referee's and, and just go, Don't tell him your name, don't tell him your name. <laughs> don't tell him, Chris. Oh, <laughs> <damn>. yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, Ashton is definitely Pike. But there, that's uh, I thought that was a pretty cool stat, but I'd be very tempted to start with both of those again. I, I was you yeah, know, I said before I was surprised that Namani wasn't really involved very much against Gloucester, I thought he was really quiet. He was almost more involved in about 20 minutes against Saracens and more destructive against them in that 20 minutes than he was against Gloucester. Hopefully, it's given him a little bit of hunger back, perhaps coming off the bench. We could see him at
1: full bore against Irish. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, given the paciness of the um, the wingers, there might be an argument, I guess, for Salamaki to come in, potentially, because he is a probably the quickest of the wingers we've got. Um, But it's an interesting team selection how he goes for it because ultimately Freddie's going to have to go back to 10 which is great because um, he's been playing so well recently so hopefully he can pick up from two weeks ago and the the week at 15 didn't disrupt him too much. Possibly we see um, Hegarty at 15 but you never know. Steve might throw a curveball and drop Ashton at 15 and have uh, Namani and um, someone else come in. But it'll be... um, Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see. I think the pack... Obviously, depending on injuries and who gets released back by England, is a bit more of an easier um, selection because I think you'll see something a lot more similar to um, to what played against Gloucester, Um, and then it just comes down to: do you start Tommy over Hanro at seven, or do you go um, Hanro Tommy Visa? Ooh,
0: I think you start Tommy against
1: Irish. I think you do too. I think you've got to slow down their ball. Slow down that ball and get yeah. Get your, your defence mapped out across the pitch. So that for me means that
0: George Martin starts on the bench, unfortunately, because I think that you have Hanro then at six because he also offers a breakdown threat that perhaps George doesn't quite offer yet. And obviously Visa is just now the all-court number, break right? That we always hoped he would be. So that's fantastic. Hopefully, Wellesley's back as well because he would be very, very helpful in that regard. Montoya can do everything, no problem. He'll just win us the game single-handedly. Show that upstart Creevy, who was obviously battling for the shirt the the Puma's two jersey with for about half a decade. Show him who's boss and you know, Bob's your
1: uncle. Where's your money going on this one? It's a tough game. Really is a tough game. I think I think um Tigers, but close one. I think Tigers in the last 10, 15 minutes. I think the fitness and the power, I think, might just tell overall, but so Tigers by six. Ooh. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say
0: Tigers by 10. But I agree. I think it will be quite nip and tuck for the first hour. And then I think the last 20 will hopefully pull away from them a little bit. But it will not be easy. I put this on the same category as Glossa. Quite easily a game I could see us losing if we're not on our money. I can see it being high scoring either way. Because I think they will score tries against us. And you've got to accept that. They've scored tries against the best defences in the league all season. So we've got to be ready for that. And we've got to be more clinical than we were on Saturday. All right, that's the end of the road for this week. Elliot, anything else before we finish up?
1: Um, Nothing too major to add. I mean, we've had the championship debacle last week, but... That would just uh, make me angry. So uh, I'm I'm in a fairly good mood, and I don't want it to be ruined. So Premiership be
0: giveth and taketh away this season, don't they? Yeah, they, so they all get I'll a say, few things
1: right, and then yeah. All I'll say it is it feels desperately sad and short sighted. That um, it, it's it's a shame for all involved. I think is the polite way of putting it. Make yourself sustainable and get
0: a bigger stadium. Well, can we play in the top league to attract fans? No, go away. Never get promoted. But it's absolutely not a closed shop. That's what they're very, very keen to stress. And when you ask them, how are you going to support them to hit the criteria, uh, you get fucking crickets. But there we go. Uh, anyway, uh, the only other thing for us to add is the Papa John's ticket giveaway competition. I'd hoped by now that we would have had the uh, winner revealed to us by Papa John's. So I think they're still siphoning through the legions of emails that they're getting so if you haven't entered the competition yet, they're very good people at Papa John's the hangover saviors, as uh Elliot has described them before. Is that Absolute correct? C-
1: certified, it is a long-standing recovery process over numerous years. Is get Papa John's involved because <laughs> I'm no straight, it's not my first rodeo with a hangover, works every time. Well, there
0: you go. I'm not gonna bother repeating the question on this one, but if you go to the outro. On our last episode of the podcast, there is a competition there where you can win two free tickets to see Tigers against London Irish at home this weekend. And that's available. Download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it may be. Whatever you're listening on now, it should be available on that directory. So go and have a listen to that. Send them an email. Probably do it sooner rather than later because they're probably going to wrap up the competition, I suspect, Tuesday or Wednesday, if you haven't done so already. Anyway, thanks everyone very much for listening and as always please leave us a review if you like what you hear and just keep it to yourself if you don't that's the way to do it uh have a great weekend enjoy watching the boys and stay safe everybody cheers everyone